Good afternoon. Uh, scripture reading today will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Peter's confession of the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, the word of the Lord. So we have been in a teaching series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be in this series till the end of the summer. We're looking at chapters uh, 13 all the way to chapter 20, calling this series Jesus Unfiltered. That's the title of this, this sermon series. Now, when you see a picture, maybe posted on Instagram, social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever, you might see the hashtag, right? Hashtag no filter. And a lot of you know what that means. That means that it's just the picture as it was taken, right? No digital filters added, no improvements or edits on the picture. It's just there for what it is. When it comes to you know pictures we take of ourselves, sometimes we want to add <laughs> those filters to make ourselves look how we want to look rather than just how we look as we are. On the iPhone filter, I checked this out myself, or the iPhone editing app that just comes with uh, the camera. There are 15 different filters that you can add on top of any picture you take. So it's very tempting to take the picture and to make it exactly how you want it to be, or to make ourselves look how we want to look. And it's tempting for us to do that with Jesus as well. I'll keep an eye on that wind factor. I might have to go over to that mic. It is tempting for us to do that with Jesus. And to some extent, we all do that. We look for the Jesus we want. We filter out the parts that we don't like instead of the Jesus who really is. So in this series, the goal is for all of us that we would encounter and see the real, authentic, and true Jesus as he is more and more, that we'd put aside our preconceptions, that we'd put aside our agendas, we'd put aside our preferences, our culturally formed biases, as much as that is possible as we look at the person of Jesus without any filters. And our passage that we just heard read this morning is incredibly important for this. It's at the very center of the Gospel of Matthew. If you look at any commentary, really, they'll say, this is the turning point. This is the centerpiece. Everything before this, as Matthew is telling the story of Jesus, it's leading you here. And everything after this point is coming from here in the life and the ministry of Jesus. The entire story of Jesus, then, it centers in on one question, the question in verse 15. This is the most important question according to Christianity. And I know as you've heard many preachers, as you've heard me, we've probably said, this is the most important question. This is the most important thing as we're trying to get across a point. 
but I really mean it this time. And I think that's how we are supposed to take it. And I think that's how Matthew wanted us to see it. This is the most important question of all according to Christianity. And today, for those of you who are exploring, maybe you're unsure about Jesus, you're still investigating, this is the question that is at the heart of it all. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, this is the question. Yeah, we begin with this question, but we must do it again and again and again. We must come back to it because according to Christianity, this question, our answer to it, it determines everything. Our convictions about controversial matters, our convictions about certain ethical questions and significant issues, the direction of our lives, how we treat each other, and our eternal destiny. It comes back, all of those things come back to this. But you, who do you say that I am? I want to look at that one question from different angles. You should have the sermon outline. It's there in the digital slides. So let's start looking at this question together. First, I want to look at where we should consider this question, where. This passage gives us the question at the heart of Christianity and the response and the answer to that question that Jesus says, this is the right one. But before all of this, it also shows us where to consider this question. Now, what do I mean by where? Well, look at verse 13. Matthew tells us when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, then he asked them the question. So the geography was important to Matthew. Where they are is important to Matthew. Why? Well, Caesarea Philippi was at the northernmost tip of Israel. So it was as far away as you could get, just on the tip, just on the edge of the land of Israel. At this time, it was mainly a Gentile, non-Jewish city. It was named after Caesar, hence you know, the name Caesarea. It had been the center of worship uh, for the god Baal in former times, the god Pan in the Greek and Roman pantheon, and now the emperor. So this was a very diverse, pluralistic place. And Jesus is intentionally, clearly taking his disciples here. before he asks them to consider this question. And the question is why? They're far away from all the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scholars, the temple, their fellow Jewish people. They're about as far away from all of this as they could have been the most non-Jewish place they could be. And Jesus says, I'm going to wait until we get there and then I'm going to ask you to consider what is the most important question of all? Why? Well, I think the answer is Jesus wanted them to be far removed, far away from the crowds, the noise, the controversies, even their religious leaders and teachers, away from all the day-to-day -day background because he wanted all that to fade away into the background in order that they could focus in on this one all-important question. Because isn't it true that sometimes we can't really see our lives when we're in the middle of our lives? We can't see our lives clearly when we're living in the day-to-day -day of our lives. We have to get out of it in order to see clearly all the controversies, all the news media, the 24-hour feed on our phones. We have to get out of it in order that we can focus and pay attention. 
I think that's what Jesus is doing here for his disciples. And here's the application for us. There are more and less appropriate settings to consider life's significant and important questions. For example, you wouldn't ask someone to marry you while you are shopping for toothpaste at Walmart. I don't know, would you? Maybe some of you, that's your engagement story. I don't know. But probably a more significant place and setting and time. You wouldn't discuss an important financial matter with your boss while you're both about to get in your cars on the way out of work in the parking lot, would you? No, you'd wait for the right setting. If it was true then for the disciples that they needed to get out of all the noise, all the controversies, it is just as, it's even more maybe important for us. There's so much noise that we live in. And if you just live life, it's easy for you to go along and never really consider this question. Never really give time to this question, even if you've been in church your whole life. Where we consider this question is important. Next. Jesus was very deliberate about how he wanted his disciples to consider this question. Clearly, he thought about where he wanted to ask them, but it's also clear he thought about how he wanted to happen. Check. All right. Let me just double check. Should I go to the handheld? We good? Okay. So not only where, but how. It's clear there's a specific way that he intends for us to consider this question. First, consider what influences your answer first. See, before Jesus asks them the question for themselves, he first says, verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man is Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself. And you ask, why did he ask this first? Why didn't he just get to the point? Who do you guys say that I am? Instead, he says, who do people say that I am? What are the options? In verse 14, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. To me, this is a very fascinating approach. Jesus says first, I want you to consider all the options out there. And he doesn't try to hide from his disciples all the other viewpoints. I think maybe I should switch over cutting in and out here. He says, just the opposite. As you consider me, as you consider what others say, what other people believe about me, what do you think? Based on what you know about me, how do they match up? Now, if you're considering Jesus, if you're exploring what it means to be a Christian, and you're thinking about this, Here's a question for you. Are you coming to your conclusions and your thoughts based on what other people think? What other people would think about you if you were to consider or believe in Jesus? Or if you're struggling with something Jesus says, if you are a Christian, if you've been following him for some time, something that the Bible that he believed teaches or something that his apostles taught and wrote, the question is, are we coming to our conclusions and thoughts based on what other people think? What other people would think about us if we affirm some things and denied some things that are true and false and good and not good for human flourishing? Jesus says you should think about that. How influenced are you? 
by what other people think. And you should know what other people think so you can ask yourself, does it match up with what you know and experience and read about me? <laughs> this is so hard for us to do. At any time, I'm sure it was extremely difficult for his disciples to get out of all that their religious teachers were saying and to say, wait, what they are saying, does it match what we are seeing? And it's so hard for us to do in our time as well. We like to think of ourselves as being individuals, that we're not as swayed by family or traditions or institutions, but... Maybe we're not as swayed by those things, but aren't we just as swayed by social media, by cultural opinion, by the people or the tribe that we identify with and want to agree with, or the people and the tribe that we say we have to disagree and distance myself from them? Jesus wants you to ask yourself the question, how influenced am I by all of those things? Because until we see that, we're not able to get to the second part. It says, consider what influences your answer. But secondly, and this is where he gets to the heart of it, consider it as intensely personal as possible. I don't know a better way of saying it. As intensely personal as possible. This question, this question at the heart of it all, it's not a theoretical question for you to think about as a philosophy project. It's not an abstract question for you to debate on the side. This is an intensely personal question from Jesus, and it's the heart of Christianity. In verse 15, he says, but you... Who do you say that I am? The you here is emphatic. It's first in the sentence in the original language, you. It's plural. Jesus is addressing all of his disciples. And the tense here, we have to get a little grammatical here for a moment. The tense here in this verse is called the dramatic present by scholars. Normally, when you told a story or when you're reading a story, it says, he said, she said. And it's that verb said. It's just kind of this normal past tense verb. And that's how it is also in the Bible and in the Gospels. But here, something different is going on. It's a present tense verb. It's almost like Matthew is saying, and he says to you right now. Jesus says to them right now, who do you say right now, at this moment, I am? This is so important. This is the central question of Christianity. And it's not, who do you say that Jesus is? That's me speaking to you, and that's important. But it's more personal than that. Matthew is saying with the grammar and the way that he carefully crafts this question, the central question of Christianity is Jesus asking you, who do you say that I am? Present tense. So this is not an intellectual exercise or an abstract concept or a set of doctrinal points to agree to. Christianity is all about a person to respond to. And that's what Matthew wants us to see. When I was in high school, I think I was in ninth grade, there was an incident that I had when I got in trouble with my best friend, and it was kind of a silly thing. We were in drama class, and normally our drama teacher, he really liked us, but uh, looking back, depending on the night that he had before, <laughs> determined his mood, and he was in a bad mood, and we were messing around, and it was really, really silly. I had a pen cap in my hand, and I, like, um, the pen cap was sticking out, and I was threatening my friend to punch him. 
uh, with that pen cap. And we were just up in the front messing around and making a lot of noise doing that. And he walks in and says, go to the office now, go to the dean. The dean of my high school is named Ivy Howard. And he was a mean guy. <laughs> and nobody wanted to sit in front of Ivy Howard. But my friend and I, we had to go into his office. And we sat down there. And he said, what did you do? And we're like, oh, man, this is like the dumbest story. <laughs> what, how are we going to explain this? And so I don't remember. I think I started. I said, well, uh, you know, my friend over here, he was like yelling. And I was doing this. He said, no. I don't want to hear about your friend. I want to hear about you. I was like, well, I was going to punch him. No, I don't want to hear anything about your friend. Just tell me what you did. Honestly, I don't remember <laughs> how that ended because I didn't know how to answer the question. But what he was trying to do is say, no, I don't want to hear anything else but about you. <laughs> what did you do? And no one else. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying you, setting everything else aside, setting everybody and everything else aside, no one else, just you right now. Not what you were taught by your parents, as important as that is, kids. That's not enough. Not what other people believe or tell you to believe. Not what other people expect you to believe. What the people you want to approve you believe. Not even what you want to believe or wish to believe. Based on all you know of Jesus, this is the question, the most important question. And friends, if it's never been personal to you like this before, if it's never been like Jesus himself asking you, you, who do you say that I am? And if it hasn't been personal for you in a long, long time, my job is to do everything I can to get out of the way and say Jesus himself he wants you to consider this question. It's at the heart of everything. Well, how to answer this question? Peter, as a spokesperson for the 12, he responds with the answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, that's very different from what everybody else was saying, isn't it? Everybody else was saying, put Jesus into the category of a prophet. And that fit. That fit what Jesus was doing. He was teaching. He was warning people. But Peter's answer was something far beyond a prophet. He said, no, you're not just a prophet. You're the one to whom all the prophets point. You are the Messiah. Some of the translations you have might say Christ. You are the Christ. And I know growing up, I thought that was Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ, first name, last name. But Christ is a title, and it's a very significant title. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew title Mashiach. And the Mashiach was the king who would come in the line of David to rule and to restore God's world to the way that it was always meant to be. The Mashiach would come and he would bring in the new creation, restoring all things and making all things right. This was what the prophets spoke of. Peter says, you are that person. He says, you are the son of the living God, that you have a unique relationship to God. He is like your father. You are like his son. He is the living God, the only God who has life in and of himself, the only God that human beings have not created. He is the living God, creator of the universe. That is who you are. 
Now, what we need to do here, I think, is step back and see the, the radical difference between these two answers. On the one hand, you are a prophet. On the other hand, you are a Messiah. There's a huge difference. Every human-made, flesh-and-blood religion relies on teachers, teachers and prophets, right? All religions pretty much say there's a teacher, there is a prophet. They spoke as a representative from God, and they told us things we need to know. What is the way to God? What is the way to enlightenment, to the good life? And then they say, now do this or don't do that. That's a prophet. That's a teacher. But Christianity is completely different than that. Something altogether different. Christianity doesn't rely on a teacher. It relies on a Messiah who is a king to rescue and rule us. That's a world of difference. To be rescued means you're helpless, right? A rescue operation means you're on the top of the roof and the helicopter's coming and there's a flood all around you and you need to be rescued. To be rescued means you're having a heart attack and the rescue of an ambulance and a doctor needs to come and restore you to life. You are helpless. To be ruled means you don't get to rule yourself. Every teacher keeps our pride intact, do they not? They say, here, I'm going to teach you this, and go ahead and carry it out. Go ahead and do it and find your way. I teach you, you do it. But to follow a Messiah is an end to all of our pride. To follow a Messiah is to say, we can't do this. We are helpless. We need a rescuer. We need a ruler. I can't even rule my own life. Jesus got his disciples away from it all for them to see the difference between Jesus as teacher alone and Jesus as Messiah and Lord. A prophet comes to teach or warn, to tell us what to do. A king comes to rule and take authority, to do what we can't do. And Jesus wants everyone to answer this question, which one is it? Who am I? This reminded me of a classic statement by C.S. Lewis, where he describes part of his own journey from atheism to faith in Jesus Christ. And what he said in Mere Christianity was this, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And Lewis says, this is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make the choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? Who do you say that I am? What are the options? Is he a teacher? Or is he Messiah? I need that paper. <laughs> um, Christian friends, sometimes, uh, and now I think we're hearing this a lot, a lot of people are saying, and a lot of people have always said, this is the greatest threat to the church. This idea, this 
moral issue is the greatest threat to the church in our generation, and it's been different over the different years. And I want to say this, it's important to discern clear right and wrong from the Bible and clear ethical teaching and social teaching from the Bible. But based on this text, I believe we are meant to say the greatest threat to Christians and the church is when we lose sight that this is the most important question of all and to see the answer that Jesus affirms. And if we give people outside of the church or outside of the faith or outside of Jesus the impression that something else is more important than this, that's the greatest threat to the church. If we give people the impression that, no, Jesus is actually a great teacher. You can do it. You can follow it. Just follow his teaching. You'll get the life you want. Instead of giving people the impression that he is the Messiah the son of the living God. This is the answer that Jesus builds the church on. If you take this away, you take away the church and Christianity and everything that goes with it, including all the ethical and social teaching, because this is the answer where it all comes from. I want to share an example of this. I was um, a number of years ago approached by a friend in the church I was pastoring. He said, I want you to talk to my friend about something. Uh, they're really wrestling with something. Can you talk to them? I was like, okay, what, do they have a pastor? Can they talk to them? They said, no, no, no. They, I told them they should talk to you. I was like, okay, I'll talk to them. What's going on? And I had this phone call with this person, and uh, the, the issue was he was considering marrying a non-Christian. I said, okay, let's talk about that. And as I began the conversation, it started, and the person was saying, uh, you know, here's this person. They're amazing. They, they don't believe the same as I do, so what should I do? And as they pressed me a little further, what they really wanted to know is, will God punish me for this, or will God send me to hell if I do this? And like a lot of times in these scenarios, their mind was pretty much made up. They were deeply in love with this other person. And so as I was talking with them, I, it just dawned on me at that moment. I said, well, what, am I, what can I say here? No, it's not specifically written. There's not a verse or text in the Bible that says, if you do that, if you marry someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, then you are doomed or you will be punished on the spot. No, the Bible doesn't say that. But isn't the more important thing to discuss, as it dawned on me, like, well, isn't it more important to come back to the question, who do you say Jesus is? Because if you're not coming from that place, then why does it matter what he says about marriage at all anyway? But if he is... Messiah, if he is king, if he is the son of the living God, then everything he says matters, and he matters most of all. And whatever he says, you can trust him that he has your good in mind, and it's true. And so in that conversation, uh, we had that, and I said, it wouldn't really be helpful for me to say, do what Jesus says if you don't know who he is. If Jesus is not the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? then why should we follow his teaching on sexuality or forgiveness or justice or money or giving or be a part of his church? But if he is the rescuer and the ruler, then everything he asks us to do is for our good. That's why this answer matters more than anything else. Two final points. When should we consider this question? We talked about where outside of noise and distraction, how personally, intensely, personally? How is it answered next? When to consider it? The important thing 
friends, is not how you answered this question some point in the past, on some day in the past. This question is about right now, present tense. Since everything flows from it, obedience, choices, how we answer this question is a foundational starting point for everything in our lives, all life's other questions and obediences and decisions. What this means is what I'm trying to say is this question is not a one-time thing. You know, Peter himself, who said this, you are, Peter was the spokesperson. He denied this not too long after when somebody said, you know this guy? No, I don't know the man. Utter denial of what he said. And so he had to come back to it. He had to come back to it to receive the forgiveness of Jesus when Jesus said, Peter, I want to restore you. He had to come back to this question again in his fear when he was locked in prison for saying, Jesus, yeah, he is Lord and Messiah. He was in prison. He had to come back again and say, well, if Jesus is king and rescuer and Lord, then I can keep saying it. He is sovereign and in charge. He had to come back to this question when he was dealing with some of his own prejudice in the book of Acts chapter 10 when Jesus said, Peter, I want you to go to the Gentiles, talk to non-Jewish people. He said, no. Peter, I want you to do this. No. Three times he said, well, you're the Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, so I will do it. Time and time again, Peter himself had to return to this question. And so it is for us in moments of doubt, when we feel like we're questioning everything else, when we struggle with something the Bible says, we don't like it, we want it to say something else. In times when we fail, in times when we sin, in times when we're shaken by our faith, these are all the times when we need to come back and reconsider this question. We'll never have it all figured out. There will always be difficult aspects of the faith, sinful habits we struggle with, questions that nag us. We just can't seem to resolve it. Passages in the Bible that bother us and go, what is that? But Christianity says, come back to this question. If your answer is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then even when we don't understand Him, even when we struggle to follow Him, even when we find ourselves wayward, then we can trust Him. When everything else is unclear, we can come back and say, because of who you are, Jesus, I'll follow you. Last point. How do we arrive at this answer? That's what Jesus says here at the very last verse in the text, verse 17. Peter answered the question correctly. And how did Jesus respond? Verse 17, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is an incredible response. Peter's answer, Jesus says, was an absolute gift of grace. It didn't come from him. It's not because he was smarter or wiser or better. He was not morally superior. He was not spiritually more advanced, not for any reason that could be traceable to him or any other human reason. Flesh and blood is the way that the Jewish people of the time would say, all of, all of us in our humanness, anything human, there's no human factor in this. Intelligence, success, effort, moral goodness, religious devotion, none of it gives you an advantage when it comes to the most important question at the heart of everything. So how do we get to the right answer? We arrive at the right answer by the revelation of God. That's what Jesus says. Now, someone might respond and say, well, well what's the point then? 
If I can't get the right answer unless God gives it to me, if there's nothing I can do, then I just sit back and do nothing? Is that it? I don't think that's what Jesus means at all. I think that's the wrong way to understand this. It means this. If this question intrigues you at all, who is Jesus really? If you can't seem to get away from that question, who is Jesus? If Jesus compels you at all, if it feels like, despite all the baggage that you might have, that Christians have, that the church has, your own reservations and doubts, despite all of that, and you say, there's something about Jesus, I can't shake him. What Jesus is saying here is, that's God. That thing in you is the work of God, the pursuing love of God, the drawing grace of God, drawing you out so that you might once and again and again come to the place where you say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a sign that God is working you. He is at work. And so for the Christian, the sign that we have arrived at the answer to the most important question in life is humility, which means the sign of false and pretend Christianity, man-made Christianity, is pride. And at its base, pride is just the attitude that says, I can do it, I earned it. Here Jesus blows all of that away and says the sign that you have come to the answer is when that attitude is gone. And it's replaced by an attitude of humility. Jesus says, blessed are you when this is you, and you know it's not because of you. Same word he used in the Beatitudes for blessed, makarios, some translations. Blessed is not the best translation. It's either happy or flourishing. You're full of life when you get this answer and realize it's not because of me. It's because of grace. This is the sign that you've personally answered this question and arrived at the answer truly and personally. And Jesus says, it's the happiest, most joyful place you could be. When you set aside all your pride and say, I can't do it, but you're the rescuer and you're the ruler. This is who you are. And if that's true, then everything else is going to be okay. So I'll follow after you. Friends, this is the most important question of all. And may God, by his grace, reveal it more and more to our hearts so that we would live in that happy humility and that we would know Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. That's our prayer, Father, that you would cure us of our I-can-do-it pride and break us where we need to be broken and reveal to us more and more clearly what we cannot in our flesh and blood, what we resist. We want a teacher. We want somebody to tell us and show us that we can do it, but Lord, I pray you would set us free and give us the freedom, the joy of brokenness as you confront us with this question. May we rejoice 
in the answer. And may we profess, even now before you very personally, and as we sing this song together, may I get all the more deeper into our souls. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, your Son. Amen.